Paper Cut Podcast strives to be evocative and inclusive. Every Monday, we cut below the surface with folks that make the Winnipeg arts and culture scene thrive. Good morning. Welcome to Paper Cut Podcast. My name is Jared Goche. I'm Olivia Michaelcheck, and we're here with Matt Schellenberg. Hey. Would you like to introduce yourself? I am Matt Schellenberg. And? Oh, and uh, people like, know Matt Schellenberg. Right, uh, just to, to define me by uh, whoever, what, what do I think I am? Uh, I'm Matt Schellenberg. I play in a band called Royal Canoe. Uh, I am a musician, and that's pretty much what I spend my time doing. Is that your occupation? I guess so, yeah. I, on Facebook, it says works at music. Oh. And music, I like the broad. <laughs> yeah. What was the last job you had that wasn't music? Um... The last like real job I had was Stella's uh, as a server, and that was about five years ago. And then I did graphic design for a while after that before I could fully do just music. And I might be looking to get back into that just a little bit, just to pay the bills a little more. So, I, so if anybody needs any, yeah, yeah, design, if anyone needs it, you know, yeah. <laughs> actually, it's MatthewShellenberg.com, but that's just a website of my scoring stuff. So. So were you uh, interested in a career in graphic design before music, or was that just a hobby of yours? Uh, my, I, I'm told by my mom that when I was growing up, I wanted to be, quote, a drawer at Disney. <laughs> That's what I wanted to be. So I'm sure it's always been in my like wheelhouse of stuff I wanted to do, but I was never planning on that. Pretty much what happened there is I had been doing it for my bands because it's free if you do it yourself and you can kind of learn it. And I'd always, I was like obsessed with MS Paint. The first thing I saved up to buy was a scanner um, so that I could scan family photos and use MS Paint to like switch heads around. (laughs) Or I got my mom to take a picture of me so it looked like I could be riding a killer whale. And then I took a picture at SeaWorld of the killer whale like jumping and then I like, anyway. so. I've definitely always been interested in it, but it was never a plan for me. I just realized, I think what happened is a guy um, from the, uh, Stephen from the Weaker Thans asked Bucky who did our stuff. And he's like, oh, it's just Matt and the band. And then I started, my first graphic design job was a Weaker Thans poster. And, I, and it was like, it was a bit much to start. <laughs> but I mean, I've been doing it for bands for a while. So for my bands. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so what, what I guess was your tipping point for music? What was the moment when you decided, okay, this is what I want to pursue as a career? Um, I'm not sure the exact moment. There was a year I decided I wasn't going to go back to school because I wanted to just spend that year on music. And at that point I wanted to get further into jazz music, um, and just concentrate on jazz for a year. And then, I did a little bit, but then the the quote unquote rock and roll stuff started to sort of the the band that I was in at the time, we got a Western Canadian Music Award. And so at that point that was like a huge deal for us. And then that was I and then I just didn't go back to school after that, I don't think. Or maybe I did. I don't know. I dabbled back and forth for a little while there. I was uh, one year away from becoming a high school English teacher and I taught high school at Westwood for uh as a student teacher for a year Hmm. yeah really so why um why a teacher um both my parents are teachers oh okay so you know uh, it's just people do what their parents do Mm -hmm. follow the family family (laughs) yeah and my dad my dad passed away but he was uh 
choral conductor and a professor. So, and my mom sings and can play the piano and stuff. So music's always been a part of what I do, I guess, or like what my family's up to. Yeah. Cool. So what was the band? Was it the Liptonians? Uh, here, here are all of my band names, and some of them are very... Actually, I've never had a good band name. Okay, but, okay. give them. Okay, so we started with them. Three-Quarter Beanstalk. That was the worst. We were a praise <laughs> band. Uh, then there was Alpacas for Sale. That became just the Alpacas when we were trying to rebrand. Oh, yeah. Then there was the Liptonians. Probably the best of the band names. Still not great. And then Royal Canoe, which I think is just an awful band name. But I'm currently in that band, yeah. pursuing it every day. Good Why promotion. do you think it's an awful band name? Uh, because it has too much. I think a good band name is just an empty vessel of syllables that you can fill up with your own meaning. Like Coldplay. Nobody thinks of anyone playing in the cold. No one's ever thought of that. They just think Coldplay. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible band name. Shitty band, great band name. So what's a better band name? Rebrand right now. Coldplay. Like <laughs> now we are called Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> so what goes into a good band name? It, does there have to be close meaning to you guys, or do you not care about that? I I really think it is. Yeah, that it has to be an empty vessel like Coldplay or Arcade Fire is good too. They're just like, you know, things that you don't associate with anything else. Too many people have an association with a canoe. Everyone's been canoeing. That's why I think it's a bad thing. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I remember playing rock band and you had the the band name simulator thing mm-hmm. and that would always churn out like instant classic names. Like I would always mm-hmm. just spend 20, 30 minutes picking my band name over yeah. and over. That's awesome. Yeah, and there was always just something random that you would end up picking yeah. and you're like, okay, like, this yeah, sounds that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. It's ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. like, it means absolutely nothing at all. Yeah. Yeah. So going from... I'm big fan of the Liptonians, I'm sure I've told you a bunch of times. Um, I'm curious about how that project is, how you go from a project, you said that you, was that the one you won the award with, the Liptonians? Yeah. Yeah. How do you go from like one band to another band being like, this band's time is done, this band is like what we're focusing on, Um, the transition? For me, it was about the music. I was... Like, I've never really had a style of music that just sort of pours out of me like some people do. Like, I feel like, I don't know, somebody like Father John Misty or something, when he picks up a guitar and he sings, he sounds like that. That's Father John Misty. It's very identifiable. For me, it's always been many different styles of music. And so I just sort of happened upon what the Liptonians did. And we'd been in the band, I think, for four or five years and we're working on our second record. And... I just realized that I just wanted it to be Wilco or I just wanted it to be uh, at the time I was obsessed with Dr. Dog. And so I started writing songs that sounded exactly like Dr. Dog and they were just worse Dr. Dog songs. And I was like, well, this is annoying. They already exist. And I felt like the music was too genre specific too, um, it there was nothing specific enough about it for me. And then Royal Canoe came along and like Matt Peters came along and I felt like that was all about making sounds no one had heard before. And in hindsight, like, you know, there, there's definitely some genre to it and whatever. And I don't have the same thoughts on that anymore. But at the time, that's what I thought. I was like, OK, you're painting yourself into a corner with this band. You need to try something else. Cool. Yeah. I have a question about hearing loss. You're right. like on social media. That's mm-hmm. something that you talk about. Are yeah. you comfortable talking about that? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. So um, I saw something that 
a status that you had made about had you thought about it when you were younger that maybe mm-hmm. I'll just let you describe uh, a little bit about sure what you think of that yeah well I have I have tinnitus or if you say it right it's like tinnitus but nobody says that um, and it sucks it's like a, a ringing in the ears and it's always there in my left ear I can hear it right now but you can't <laughs> and uh, it, it if 5% of people have it and in 5% of that 5%, it continually gets worse. So I don't know which one I am yet. It's certainly gotten worse, but I hope that it plateaus. And um, it's, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it is induced from being so close to the drums when we were doing a bunch of opening tours because you set up in front of the, the band that is headlining. And uh, yeah, and that's the side that's right by the cymbal. So... I wish that I would have gotten the musician's earplugs like exactly like my mom told me to. And everybody <laughs> said, like, you're going to regret it and blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, I totally do. I, w- I don't know. It's it's really annoying. I have to listen to rain sounds um, to fall asleep. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not debilitating, but it's it's annoying and like makes any anxiety you already have just extra amplified, I guess. Yeah. So for musicians that are just starting out or even people who go to concerts quite mm. frequently, what what are the steps you would you would suggest to, for them to take? Uh, go to any hearing center and get your ears fitted for a custom earplug that doesn't cut any high end because a classic earplug, you put it in and it's just like, woo, woo, woo. Yeah. and so you lose the show. These are as good as you can get. It's still it still doesn't sound the same. But you, it's custom for your ear canal, and you can pick how many decibels it reduces it. It's like 200 bucks or something like that. But it's worth it. It's like a lifetime investment, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. I, I, I was also really, really wanted to hear what I thought the crowd was hearing at the shows. And it's been an emotional journey, I guess, giving that up. Like at the show that I played last night, I have no idea what it sounded like because... I have to just trust that the sound guy did his job. And whereas I used to be able to really have a much better perception of that and like sort of turn myself up or down because of that. But it's, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot worse things that people go through. That's for sure. But it's been annoying for me. Right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of sound guy, mm-hmm. I have a question. Obviously that's what we're here for. <laughs> I just ask questions and you give Perfect me answers. Sense, yeah. <laughs> uh, why do bands have sound people that travel with them? Uh, because the sound... Like Royal Canoe, that's why I'm asking. Yeah, the sound engineer has, uh, I guess, a unique job of making all of the frequencies and the sounds that you make can be pretty unpredictable in different rooms because the waves will come out of the speakers and like there's a standing wave in every different room that'll resonate and create feedback or create a big, uh, I guess, that that like low hum sound that... that usurps all the low end if you don't have a good sound guy or sound person, sound engineer. So, um, yeah, so you just bring somebody with you because they know your stuff really well and they can, uh, as Elliot says, technically integrate it into the room correctly. (laughs) So they are just, uh, with a person that is a sound person Mm -hmm. at a particular venue, Mm -hmm. what is the difference between what they can do and what your sound? Uh, Well, they could be, uh, I mean, obviously everyone has a different skill level and you don't know, but like if they were at the exact same skill level, the person that you've brought along knows your set really well. So they know the time when the big 
bass drop hits and how to make sure that doesn't like blow up the subwoofer or know like what's likely to feedback and just be on that. Uh, we got a sound engineer after an experience where the feedback was louder than the song for three songs straight and continued in the breaks. And we're like, that's it. But it's, it is like it for like years, it ate up nearly all of our profits. So it is a thing for bands to decide because it's a lot of money to constantly be paying somebody a professional rate. Mm-hmm. So, so when Royal Canoe goes on tour, how many people are typically in the production crew? Just just our sound engineer Elliot. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you guys handle we handle everything else. We if we you know were a little more successful, we'd probably add a tour manager or maybe a merch person or something like that. But okay, so you, it's already too many mouths to feed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So right now you guys will sell merch. Like yeah, a, we all got print. our roles. Derek does merch. Uh, Michael and Brendan drive. Uh, I do uh, all the social media that kind of stuff. Bucky does all of the band business stuff, and Matt takes care of anything to do with art recording the general vision kind of stuff yeah no it sounds like a lot of work but do you guys like having that hands-on feel being in control of your social media your message that goes out i think we've done it for so long that we wouldn't know how to hand it off um we've tried to hand things off before and then taken them back sometimes and we have a manager who's very capable who also helps with all of this but he more amplifies what we want and has incredible ideas too but like it's uh yeah, I think we've been DIY musicians for a decade and we just don't know how to not do that. And I mean, we've talked about like hiring a digital marketing company and that kind of stuff. But I think I would just like look at my own Facebook posts and be like, huh, that's what I'm saying today. Hey, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I don't right. think I'd like it that much. So your social media, your Instagram right now, you have a, a fun little <laughs> oh, yeah. thing going on. If you'd like to explain that. Uh, well, we don't follow anyone on Instagram because we saw that Stephen Colbert didn't follow anyone on Twitter, I think, and we thought that was kind of badass. So <laughs> then we realized, like, that's a really awful social media strategy to follow nobody. And so our band is just doing the opposite of everything that you're supposed to do as far as gaining fans. And then we thought, well, we're in a unique position where we could follow one person and that would be funny. And so because uh, Stephen Colbert, I think he followed Bill Clinton which uh, kind of a poor choice, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we just followed this guy, Brad, and I knew we would probably have, I wrote the post before even searching because I wanted it to be the name Brad because I thought that was a, just a like, kind of generic <laughs> name. I'm like, surely we have a Brad that follows us, and we did. And then, <laughs> so it was like, yeah, Royal Canoe now follows Brad. And I don't know, it's a little gag. <laughs> yeah, and Brad ended up being great. We got him tickets (laughs) to the show last night. He was like front row. Yeah, everyone's saying he's really sweet. That's a great story. (laughs) That's heartwarming. Uh, So uh, I want to, away from heartwarming stories, Mm. I want to hear about the worst show that you've ever played. And maybe we'll do the best one too to full circle if you like. That's easy because the worst show is is, uh, canonized. It's iconic story. Okay, great. So it was in Penticton. Uh, in the off season, Penticton is a place where people go for the summer, it's a winter, and it's at a place called Voodoo's. And we had had a show at Voodoo's that we, in our early days, deemed a huge success because 20 people came. And so we were like, whoa, cool, people like us in Penticton. And I guess whatever had happened that day was a total fluke. It was like a bar and people go to bars. And so the next time we came, 
um, just nobody showed up. Not a single, like sometimes you're like, oh, nobody showed up, but there was somebody in the room. There literally wasn't a person in the room. There was the bartender and us. And so when we realized that nobody was going to show up, we just made it into a practice. We had some new songs to learn, so we did that. And then uh, the bartender had to leave because no one was at the bar. And we didn't have a place to stay, so she said that we could sleep in the bar. <laughs> and it's called voodoo, so there's these voodoo like masks all over. It's so creepy. And the last thing she says before she shuts the door is, oh, and by the way, this place is haunted. And then like shuts the door. No. <laughs> and we're all, you know, I think I'm sure we'd been drinking to drown our sorrows of the night. And then we all set up, you know, our sleeping bags on the booths in the bar and uh, just fall asleep with the mask staring down at us <laughs> and get up in the morning and pack up. And we went and ate at the Greyhound station down the street. <laughs> it was a special moment. That's awesome. That's a bonding moment. For yeah. Sure. yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you need those stories. Yeah. You remember, the fear like, for your life. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. brings you together. <laughs> I think in the morning. I wish I could find the video. We made a skit where Matt was the bartender. It was sort of like a Cheers thing, and we mm. had. But yeah, he was like. Yeah. It sounds like your worst show turned out to be like a pretty decent practice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. A, it, I remember. Yeah. We learned the song Hold On to the Metal from our first album. We didn't know it at that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Then. Yeah. And a free place to stay. Like, yeah. Yeah. It could have been, been, been a lot worse. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. sounds like fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So coming full circle now, yes. what would you say is your best? Um, I mean, I guess it depends on how like best as in there were a lot of people or just like best that emotionally best emotional best. yeah yeah, yeah. okay emotional um, yeah let me think <laughs> it might be one and the same the one that comes to mind is opening for alt j at the hollywood palladium because it was the first show we'd ever done on that scale and it was the hollywood palladium which is like this you know, storied venue and they have like three thousand people and it was two nights in a row and uh it was just that classic like moment in that movie, that thing you do where you like your song comes on the radio and you run down the street and try and pretend that or they weren't pretending at all that it wasn't really cool. But like the whole thing was just us trying to pretend this is normal, but we are so <laughs> pumped. Uh, so, yeah, I think that was my favorite show. Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. Which band were you in? Uh, that was Royal Canoe. Royal Canoe. Yeah. Awesome. And the Voodoo. That was also Royal Canoe. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so full circle with the same band. Yeah. yeah. It's totally. an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a question about songwriting. Uh -huh. um, how that process works for any project that you're in. You also wrote a score for a movie. Mm -hmm. That's correct? Yeah. So Lovesick. Yeah great <laughs> um i just want to know about your songwriting process there's like a couple like there's a song royal canoe that's about like bathtubs there's mm -hmm. a song right. Liptonian. they're all they're all over the place like right. how yeah, do yeah. you like this is what we're writing a song about some of them seem a little bit silly i think mm -hmm. i mentioned that last night yeah like singing a song about bathtubs yeah yeah that i think that was my idea too <laughs> i can't remember it might have it, it was me and matt I remember we were working on that lyric and, you know, there were these stupid bathtubs in the hallway and we were just like, anyway, I could go into what that song means. But about the song writing process, I think for me, it tends to be about music first for me. Like I, I, I write either a beat or a riff or something, I record it and I have like some sort of gibberish melody that has the right syllables and the right rhythm. 
um, and then I'm fitting something towards that. So that might be why prioritizing that might be why it's a bit over all over the map. But then I think that it also has to, I almost never have a lyric that like doesn't really mean something to me. So it's trying to constantly have the correct balance between making sure that your syllables and lyrics and rhythm line up with what the song needs and that the meaning of those syllables and lyrics are I guess correct for the emotion you're trying to convey and the story you're trying to tell and so I think often trying to get that balance is a really important thing as a songwriter because people can go either way like a Justin Timberlake song makes no sense if you look up the lyrics I mean they kind of almost do but it's the perfect syllables and rhythm like everything is absolutely perfect there's the the the, it's like he's playing a trumpet or something Mm -hmm. but like then you take like an Alanis Morissette song or something and it sounds like she's just like reading an essay but she's singing it and so I think for me it's about finding that um that place in the, the sort of concentric circles of the rhythm and the melody and then the meaning and um yeah, I don't know. I think I've been better at that as of late because I actually can articulate that that's what I'm trying to do. And earlier on, I was just like, okay, what am I going through right now? I should write about, you know, something, some breakup or something or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I kind of jumbled a bunch of questions then when I started mm-hmm. asking. So to Lovesick, that mm-hmm. was a, a film. Yeah, that-, that had a much different process because it when you're doing a film, everything is contingent on on it working for the film. So if it works great for the song, it works great for what you want to say as a person, that doesn't matter if it's not good for the film. So every once in a while that all lines up and then you get something really great. But a lot of the time it doesn't. And then you're just serving the film. So I wrote songs for a party scene that had to be the exact tempo that the actor was dancing at. So I like t- watching her dance, tapping it out, being like, okay, I got to make sure she doesn't look stupid. So here's how fast the song's going to be. <laughs> And then, you know, within that, there's all sorts of parameters, but then also you have to make it believable. Be like, what are the people like at this party? What do you think would be playing? And uh, so there's all that kind of stuff. And then there's the featured music, which you have a little more of a say over. But even within that, the director wanted it to be in a certain style. A lot of uh, all the reference tracks he gave me had a lot of acoustic guitar. And that's like sort of the third instrument down my list. So that was uh, a little bit of a learning curve, but... What are first and second? Uh, I'd say that probably keys and... Well, it used to be keys and then drums and then guitar. But uh, my drums have really slipped since (laughs) my early 20s. So probably probably guitar and drums are tied. And with Mm -hmm. that project too, you incorporated a lot of local musicians as well? Yeah. The great thing about Winnipeg is that everybody is... there, There isn't even really a music scene as much as there's just an art scene because it's so small that everybody knows each other. Everybody's collaborating on each other's projects. And so I knew that I would be able to do anything that I wasn't able to do. There would be somebody that could do it and that would be excited to do it. And so I wanted to get together a bunch of people uh, because the film was about Winnipeg. And then also just because I like my singing voice can do a certain style, but not all of them by any means. And, and I was really excited to uh, pitch to work with John K. Sampson. Cause I've always been a huge fan of the week of ends. And I got Bobby from Attica riots and uh, yeah, just a bunch of people together because I couldn't do it all on my own. And I think it was better if I didn't. So cool. Awesome. Yeah. 
Well, we're pretty much running out of time. Mm-hmm. Do you have any? Do you have any more questions? No. Do you okay. have any questions? <laughs> <laughs> no. I, this has been great, though. Yeah. You yeah. did a, an excellent job, Matt. Well, thanks. <laughs> so um, we'll leave on a question. Okay. Um, which bands are you most excited to see in 2018 in Winnipeg? In Winnipeg, local. like local bands. Hmm. I've been a bit out of the loop lately. Um, so I can't even say based on like having seen them, but, uh, somebody was telling me about ivory waves that I should go see them. Oh yeah. Very good. You should check them out. So them yeah. based on someone else's <laughs> recommendation, um, three Pete, yeah. uh, I think are incredible and we've been working with them. So that's kind of a, a biased opinion. Um, who else? I don't know. I need to go to shows and like figure out who who the new young kids are. Yeah. <laughs> I've just been in the studio trying to do too many things lately, so I'm not really don't have my finger on the pulse. Well, uh, if you have a band, you have a show that you want mm-hmm. Matt Shell to yeah. come to. <laughs> yeah. Matthew yeah. If you're listening right now, <laughs> you can contact me because I want to know about you. Wow. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming by, Matt. We really yeah. appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Just a reminder, you could find all of the cuts online at papercubwinnipeg.com. Here's a cut from our interview next week with Jen Dirksen. Like, I know when I started photographing bands, it was, I would go to my friend's set and photograph them. Um, And then after a while, I realized, oh, I can actually do this. That's when I felt comfortable enough to photograph strangers.